Hey, it's Flaves, and this is Climate Changers, a podcast where we celebrate the heroes who are on the front lines of creating a new and sustainable resource and energy economy. Today, my guest is Richard Mori, co-founder and CEO of XPower, where he's focused on energy and internet access in the developing world. XPower is also the parent company to MeshPower, which Richard also co-founded, this time to bring clean electricity to rural villages in Rwanda using solar microgrids that power homes and enable economic development. Hi, Richard. Welcome to the show. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Before we dig into your unique and proprietary technology, could you provide my audience with a little background on what you see as the role for microgrids in providing electricity to rural communities in Africa? So what we have here is a huge global problem. We have over a billion people who lack access to electricity. About 600 million of those live in sub-Saharan Africa. This problem has actually gotten worse over the last 10 years, even though electrification has expanded, like national grids have expanded, population growth outcompetes that. So the status quo just isn't working. The traditional way of building out infrastructure, overbuilding grid infrastructure and slowly expanding it out at great cost into harder and harder to reach areas is not working. It's going to take another few generations at the current rate to actually electrify the whole of Africa at the cost of many billions of dollars hundreds of billions. So we need a different solution. And this is where microgrids can come in, as well as other off-grid, predominantly solar solutions. Just so that your listeners know, with a mini-grid, you have like a power station with solar panels and batteries. Well, when we talk about solar mini-grids, so I'm talking about solar, uh, with solar PV panels and batteries connecting to households with distribution lines like you would have on the normal national grid. But the thing here, instead of being connected to a power plant many kilometers away, which is producing, let's say, 900 megawatts of power, you instead have a small local system, maybe as low as like a couple of kilowatts or up to like a few hundred kilowatts, providing power to anything from like 20 households to like several thousand. So that's kind of what we mean by by mini grids. And the great opportunity here is that by avoiding that huge, very costly high voltage transmission to get the power from these large traditional power plants to the end consumer in rural areas, we can cut all that out and using kind of more cost effective technology, bring the generation to the household and cut out that transmission cost. You have a unique and innovative technology that can provide hybrid AC-DC power to rural villages. Can you talk about why this solution is distinctive from others that are also being deployed in the field? When we talk about AC and DC, let me say it's low voltage direct current. So what you get out your sockets in America would be like 120 volts. In Rwanda, it's 230 volts AC alternating current. That is high power. It can power pretty much everything in your home, kettles, bridges, whatever. But it is also very dangerous and it's also quite costly. And it's dangerous because of the high voltage. So what we try and do is for average household electrification, use 48 volts direct current. Now, this is much safer inherently. And we have built in advanced protective circuitry into our system to make it extra safe. By making it safer and by having this cost-effective technology, and it's more efficient since solar panels deal in DC, the energy we deal with is originally generated in direct current, is stored in the batteries as direct current, and then ultimately your end appliance normally uses it as direct current. And every time you have a switch between AC and DC, you waste a lot of energy. So we can avoid that waste we can keep it safe and we can lower costs by using this 48 volt DC to power the typical household. But then again, there there are drawbacks to this. One is that because it's lower voltage, you cannot transmit it as far. So you're limited maybe to a couple hundred meters from the point of you know generation. Another is that it is not so good at powering high power appliances. 
because it will draw a lot of current to provide the same amount of power. So this is why we do a combination. We give expensive, costly, but powerful, you know, mains voltage AC connections to businesses, to people that can afford it. So they can power things that can generate value and income, like sewing machines, like mills, like fridges, like soldering irons, whatever, that help spur industry and economic development. At the same time, we can much more cost-effectively serve the typical household with our DC grid. And with that, they can power pretty much everything they would power anyway, which are lights, TVs, phone charging, laptops, etc. Another key thing here, and something unique to our technology, is that with our DC connections, we sell electricity as a service. Typically, you buy electricity and use it, you consume it in units units of kilowatt hours of energy. Now, this is difficult because the way the economics is set up, the national grid is hugely subsidized. So essentially in Rwanda, the government loses money on the electricity it sells to its people. Now, if we don't have that subsidy, an equivalent subsidy, we have to charge a higher rate, but people don't like to see that difference in cost. But by selling electricity as a service, people are buying the service, they aren't buying the electricity. And it allows cross-subsidization between the end uses of energy. Let me give you an example. Typical people in a rural village will pay the equivalent of $20 per kilowatt hour to charge their phone because it's a small amount of energy and it costs them like 10 cents. Now, clearly that's a huge amount of money if you were to start charging that when the national grid charges 20 cents per kilowatt hour. But people are willing, surprisingly, to pay that for phone charging because it's a high value, low energy use but they aren't willing to pay such a high rate for something like lighting, which takes a lot more energy. So we essentially can subsidize the energy costs for, for LED lighting, which is essential, by charging people a bit more for powering their TV. So it's energy as a service. People buy the service, they buy the hours of light, the hours of TV, the hours of phone charging, rather than the underlying energy per kilowatt hour rate. You've talked a little bit about how distance is one of the greatest challenges in electrifying many villages in Africa and how microgrids can help solve some of the short-term challenges of providing energy to new customers. But can they also help these communities leapfrog traditional sources of power altogether for the long run? Yeah, definitely. Without these renewable energy microgrids, these solar power microgrids and hydro microgrids, the alternative would be diesel by and large. And those are so badly suited for the kind of use that we put our solar microgrids to use. Varying load throughout the day, 24-7 running and availability. Now, a generator is perfect for powering a, a specific load constantly. That doesn't vary, but it becomes very inefficient and costly to keep it running all the time uh, with varying load. So it's actually fundamentally more economical to use renewable energy in this instance. When you compare it to all the other alternatives, renewable energy is the most cost-effective way of electrifying these villages. So when you start with renewable energy, you can stay on it too. Let's say we've built a mini grid and 15 years down the line, the national grid does eventually arrive. We can interconnect, we can connect the national grid, and then you can both buy and sell electricity to and from the national grid and contribute to the renewable energy mix of the country as a whole. And so when people get used to the benefits of solar, it's hard to get away from that. Generators are noisy, they're smelly, they're unhealthy, they're costly to run, and they're costly to maintain. A well-designed and built solar system has much lower operating costs. It's pretty much silent. It's very cheap to maintain. Logistically, you don't need to keep shipping in diesel. And right now, actually, you can power pretty much anything on a decent solar system. It's not weak power. There's nothing different between the electricity that you can generate on a solar microgrid versus what you can get from a national grid. You can leapfrog the traditional sources of energy generation as well as the traditional methods of distribution and consumption. 
One of the elements of your mission that I've always found really appealing is your focus on lifting villages out of poverty, both through your hybrid ACDC electrification, but also by training and employing local Africans. Could you talk Mm. a little bit about this mission of economic development in Africa? When we started, we kind of got involved because we saw that there was this huge opportunity to lower the cost of delivery, like technological developments that made it so that you can serve these communities, serve these consumers and customers far more cost effectively than you ever could before. You know, the rise of microelectronics, of, of cellular technology so that you can remotely monitor these systems, the rise of mobile money so your customers can pay for their energy without having to have someone go around and collect money. And the hugely plummeting cost of PV. All of this means that it is now more cost effective and more economical than ever to serve these consumers. So when we started, we hoped to demonstrate a model that you can just scale, you can roll this out and deploy it and make money and pay it off within like a year or 18 months and scale like a Silicon Valley startup. The challenge was so is that in reality, in the communities that we are serving, at least in Rwanda, the communities are very low income. They're primarily subsistence farmers with very seasonal incomes and very little liquid currency. So A, I don't want to take what little money that they have to try and make like a profit on these systems without actually increasing the size of this pie, right? So economic development is vital for the company because the company is not sustainable and scalable unless we can grow the pies within these communities, grow the economic output of these communities. And it's aligned perfectly with our mission, which is we're not here to take value away. We're not here to take value out of these communities. We want to create value in these communities and then grow over time and offer new services in the future as the demand appears. It became a core part of our business model. And this is actually why we moved from doing purely DC systems to doing a mixture of DC and AC. So we can power the equipment that can earn people money, improve efficiencies, improve agricultural output and things like this. And the other thing you mentioned was about our workforce and our investment in our employees. And we take that very seriously. Just to clarify, XPower is the US parent company, which is developing the technology that we use and we look to license it and expand in other countries with partners. But MeshPower is an operating microgrid company that designs, builds, and operates these microgrids. And it can only be sustainable if this is you know, fully owned and operated by Rwandans. Otherwise, like if you if you start populating it with expats with expectations of expat salaries, economically it just can't work. So from a purely pragmatic point of view, it was important for us to build capacities within our own company from a very local workforce. And when we started in this like in twenty fourteen, not so many people had experience with solar systems. Since then it's exploded. More and more companies are entering the space. More and more people are getting exposure to solar. But it took a lot of investment in the beginning as well to train people up in our systems, educate people about solar systems, send people on training camps in Kenya and other countries to learn more about solar installations, sending people on project management courses so that we can execute on the projects we bring in effectively. These are the things that we've invested in as a company, but we benefit hugely from it because we have a dedicated, committed and skilled workforce who are perfectly aligned with our mission and are enthused to build the company. This work requires collaboration with local communities, national governments, impact investors, and donors. All of them have different ways of measuring success. So how do you and your team measure success? That's difficult. All of those stakeholders you mentioned look at very, very different things. As an example, we charge our DC customers less than, it's about 10 cents every day. So it's about 10 cents a day to have access to high quality, clean electricity, to light their house, charge their phones. And then when we go to the village, people come up and say, oh, it's too expensive. And then it's like, okay, why is it too expensive? Oh, it's it's 10 cents. It's like, okay, without this, what would you use? Oh, we'd use candles. How much is that? Five cents. 
How long does it last? Oh, a couple of hours. Is it bright? No. Can you charge your phone with it? No. How many candles would you need? Oh, three or four. So that's more than 100 francs. It's like, oh yeah. So it's like, we've always had this challenge at kind of getting across that value proposition and figuring out the right way to sell that value proposition to our customers, to our local communities. In the same way that it's also difficult to sell it to governments, employment investors and donors. Governments have conflicting objectives. They want to achieve electrification targets. So they're willing to help roll out and give away very cheap solar home systems, very cheap solar lanterns, which maybe do nothing more than allow someone to read a book at night. But tick, that house is now electrified. It's contributed to the targets at very little cost. At the same time, they may insist on wanting the national grid to be everywhere, despite the fact it's costing $1,000 for every household that they want to connect. And when you look at the revenue that the utility makes in these connections, it'll be like 50 cents a month or less. So they have kind of conflicting desires and expectations. Everyone has different targets and measures of success. For us, we care about the impact that we have. And we also care about the sustainability of the business and the scale we can reach. So sustainability and scale, that's easier to measure. We are financially sustainable. The grids we set up are financially sustainable and won't go out of business. They will stick around for the long term. We're not losing money on these grids. So that's important from just the base level. They're also sustainable in that we only get money from our customers when we provide them with electricity. If there's a blackout, we don't take money. And this means as well that it's up to us to replace the batteries, to do maintenance proactively and keep these systems operating and operational. You know, if we were just selling products, just selling small solar systems, when the batteries died, they would just be discarded. And that would create a huge e-waste problem, which isn't sustainable. And we do care about that. And that's part of what's inherent in our model that it is sustainable. I, I mentioned caring about impact. And this is where things get very, very difficult because it's very easy to use profit as a measuring stick. So when you pursue profit above all else, it's it's very simple. It makes all your decisions very, very simple. You look at MPV, okay, let's do it. But when you're talking about impact, that's much harder to measure. What exactly are you measuring? Do you measure breadth of impact? So how many solar lanterns, how many lives have you altered very slightly? Or depth of impact, where you take into account how deeply and fundamentally you've impacted each community that you've touched by providing productive power, providing access to finance and whatnot. It's an ongoing discussion and it's really, really hard to quantify. And part of the challenge when dealing, let's say, with impact investors is that often they will want to see the results of measuring that impact, but it impacts your bottom line to actually do that. It takes money to actually do that. So the approach we're taking right now is we're trying to collect impact metrics as we go during the customer sign-up process, et cetera, without it being too onerous. But also we're doing a number of studies, primarily with universities, such as with Colorado State University, we're doing a three-year study, longitudinal study, where we're looking at the impact of electricity on people's livelihoods over time. Not just people connected to our grid, but people who aren't, who may be a are receiving ancillary spill-off benefits of the electricity access for, you know, their neighbours or the village down the road. That's really exciting to see what comes out of that. And we're doing similar things with Imperial College London and, and some other universities and Strathmore University in Kenya. So we do care about measuring that impact because fundamentally, if all we're doing is taking money out of these communities without fundamentally improving them, then we're failing at our mission. Richard, thank you for your work powering up rural villages and providing clean energy for home use as well as commercial use, and in doing so, creating new economic opportunities for underserved communities. And thank you for joining this episode of Climate Changers. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Every episode of Climate Changers has a call to action posted in the show notes. Each call to action has been curated to make it easy for you to help create the changes that we discussed today. Thank you for joining Climate Changers. Until next time.